Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation Podcast is preparing young athletes and families for every next step in their athletic journey. To learn more about successfully navigating every next step in your athletic journey, then join our community by visiting michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. How has Dan Clouser found his passion beyond the diamond? As we get older, we learn that life is more about the journey than the destination. This isn't always the case when we're in our younger years. Chasing our goals often means we're focused on outcomes. One of my great joys in life is helping young people appreciate the journey while pursuing their dreams. My guest in this episode, Dan Clouser, invested over 30 years in building the Berkshire Baseball and Softball Club, which later became the Big Vision Foundation. Dan mentored young athletes with the purpose of developing successful adults. In his second act of life, Dan is getting the opportunity to see how the seeds he planted in his first act are growing. In episode 57, Dan shares how he transitioned into truly enjoying his journey as an author, podcast host, and full-time nomad. Dan shares how he transitioned from his first passion in life to his new passion. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Dan Clouser. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Very good. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. It's great. It's great to see you again. Um, I guess to get started, uh, I want to ask you about your book, which if anyone's watching on the video, uh, it's called The Beauty of a Diamond. And you had a long, uh, a long experience in your life as being a baseball coach. So what inspired you to write the book? Um, I mean, I think for me, it was, uh, you know, writing's always been a part of my life. And I decided to write the book and really share uh, a lot of my coaching experience, um, and, and wanted to be able to share that with, you know, younger coaches who are getting, getting into the game and that sort of stuff. And it really turned into a, you know, memoir of my coaching career. And then also, um, what led me, um, to kind of turn the page on my coaching career and start a new chapter as well. Um, so all in all, you know, the book was originally released in 2012, and then I, uh, I added 10 chapters to it and re-released it last July. Um, so it was really like an 18 year project till it was, <laughs> till it's all said and done. Cause I initially wow. started writing it in 2003 and it, you know, with, with coaching as much as I was and, and running the, you know, I ran a youth nonprofit organization for 30 years and put a lot of hours in there. So it was just kind of carving out the time to, you know, to be able to write, um, you know, it's what took so long, but truthfully, you know, as you reflect back on it, um, you know, it, it wasn't done until 2012. And then, you know, it really wasn't completely done until, you know, 2021. Wow. Um, you know, and I just wanted to, you know, make people understand that, um, you're so much more than just, you know, someone out there teaching the X's and O's of the game of mm-hmm. regardless of what sport you're coaching. Um, you know, whether you want to be or not, you're a mentor to these kids. Um, you know, you're a second parent in many cases. And, you know, let's face it, everybody's competing in a sport to win. That That's a given, but it's not only about winning. And, you know, I always took an approach that you know, it was really about teaching life lessons through the game because at some point in these kids' lives, they're not going to be able to play the game anymore, you know, Um, and that that comes at various stages in their lives. You know, some of them it's after high school, some it's after college, some that are fortunate enough to go on and play professionally. It may be sometime in the minor leagues or if they're good enough to make it to the big leagues, they're still, the game is going to say, you can no longer compete here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whether yes. you want it to or not, it's yes. not your decision. <laughs> you know? And at that point, you've got to figure out how you contribute to society. You've got to be a good human being. Um, 
you know, to go out and, you know, get a, a regular job, so to speak. Uh, the person interviewing you is not going to care what you did on the baseball field. They're going to want to know, are you a team player in this atmosphere? Are you going to help this business win at what we're trying to accomplish as an organization? Yes. Um, and that's really the one thing that we really wanted to stress to, to our kids throughout our organization. And, uh, yeah, that's the main reason why I wanted to write the book, to just share that philosophy. Well, there are so many things that I want to ask you in relation to that. I guess where I'll start is, so what was your experience as an athlete when you, when you were younger before you got into coaching? Um, so I was, you know, I tell everybody I, I was far from a superstar. Um, you know, I, I played multiple sports. I played uh, football, soccer, basketball, and baseball. Um, and I, I worked, you know, worked really hard to, you know, to get on the field and stay on the field. I was probably a better football player than I was a baseball player, but I loved the game of baseball, you know, so just to stay in the starting lineup, I had to work, you know, really, really hard. So I was always mm -hmm. working hard in practice. I was always hustling on and off the field uh, and I never took anything for granted. Um, you know, and there were a couple, you know, a couple coaches in my life that really made a, a huge impact on me. Um, you know, one was, uh, you know, my first little league coach, Jerry Heist and, and uh, Barry DeStagio. Um, I was the youngest player on our, our little league team. So, um, you know, my mom was involved with the organization and somehow pulled some strings to get me playing a year prior than, you know, what the age limit was to be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, uh, I was the youngest kid on the team. Um, so again, you know, right out of the gate, I had to work harder than yeah. everybody else. Cause everybody, you know, it, you know, the difference between an eight year old and nine year old or nine year old, 10 year old is, is a big deal big. at that stage. You know, so I had to really work hard. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I remember, and, and I write about this experience in the book. Um, I, I never, early on, I never swung the bat. Mm -hmm. um, I would just go up there and either I was going to walk or I was going to strike out, depending on whether I got four balls thrown to me or three strikes thrown to me first. <laughs> but I would <laughs> not swing the bat. And I remember I came up in a situation, uh, we had the bases loaded and it was either a tie game or a down a run or something. And, uh, you know, we had two outs and my, uh, my coach, Jerry Heist comes down the, the third baseline and, and, uh, you know, again, knowing the history of my, <laughs> you know, my at bats at this stage of the the season, he, I guess he didn't want to rely on whether or not the pitcher would throw me four balls before he threw me three strikes. <laughs> so <laughs> he came up to me and knelt down. He put his arm around me. He says, you know, Danny, everybody called me Danny back then yet. He says, uh, you're never going to get a hit if you don't swing the bat. And, uh, I was just like, okay. So at that point, like I was determined, like I was swinging the bat at this ne next pitch regardless of where it was going to be. And thankfully the kid threw me a strike <laughs> and I made contact and, and drove the ball into right field uh, probably cause I was late and uh, ended up hitting a base clearing double. And from that point on, I, I turned from the least aggressive hitter um, to a guy that like, if I saw two pitches in an at bat, it was too many for me. <laughs> At that point, you know, so I was in there looking to to swing. And, you know, it's funny at such a young age how that's just stuck to me. And really, yeah. even in different stages of my life, you know, uh, metaphorically has, you know, has stuck with me where, you know, take a chance and, and see what happens. Um, so that really impacted me deeply. And then, um, you know, another coach, funny that I never actually – uh, really played for him. Um, I, I was at only high school in Pennsylvania, my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the high school baseball coach there was a legend, Bob, Bob Rentschler. And my older brother had played for him. So we had a relationship. Um, and then we ended up moving to a different school district, um, midway through the year. So I never actually played a game for him, but we, I competed against him. 
And after every game, after we went through the line and, and shook hands and that sort of stuff, um, he would stop me and just ask, you know, how are your parents doing? How's your brother doing? How's the family? How, how are things going? And again, just made an incredible impact on me because, you know, what, what did it matter to him? You know, mm-hmm. that here was a kid from another school district who, you know, his older brother played for him, but he never played for him, but, you know, yeah. took the time, you know, made his team wait in the huddle, you know, for two, three minutes to just, you know, check up on how things were, you know, were doing for me. And then, you know, lastly, was my my actual high school coach uh, at Schuylkill Valley, Denny Warner. He just, uh, you know, again, was one of those guys who, you know, we had some really good teams, um, but was really there to teach us the life lessons and, you know, that it was was more than a game. So those guys all had, you know, kind of grew into what my coaching style became. Well, it sounds like you have some pretty good role models there because I, I think that generally speaking, I would say that that seems to be the exception rather than the rule in terms of what I see in that youth sports space now in terms of, and I always say this is people coach the way that they were coached. And typically the reflection is that sort of old school sort of stereotypical coaches who are, you know, do as I say, and, you know, I, I run the ship here and, and they're not really looking at the, they're coaching a game. They're not coaching the people and what you've described is people who are coaching people and showing that they care. And it is fascinating to me, the story, particularly the first story you told about when you were 12, you know, and playing little league, you know, how those stories, those stick with us, right? They're so ingrained in our brain, 30, 40, 50 years later from, these youngest of ages where, where, you know, these people in our lives made such a big impression. And I couldn't help but think about that idea of taking risk, right. And judging, judging performance based upon the effort, right. Rather than the results, you know, and saying, Hey, you're going to only fail if you don't swing, even if you swing and you miss, you've succeeded. And that's not something that's really taught, you know, yes, we, we play sports to win, but things aren't always going to go our way. So are you going to take that shot and be the one who's willing to, to risk it all, you know, emotionally to, to be successful, or are you going to be so afraid of failure that you kind of sit on the sidelines and you keep your, your, your metaphor, metaphorical bat on your shoulder? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's so true. And, and again, it, and it's, it's so true. And yet it's so bizarre, especially in the games of baseball and softball, because they are games of failure. Correct. You know, so the fact that, you know, there are so many coaches nowadays who are coaching for the result as opposed to the process is just mind boggling. I know, you know, when we ran, uh, you know, part of what we did with our nonprofit is we ran a sports complex and we hosted, you know, baseball and softball tournaments every weekend. And you got to see the best and the worst of both worlds. Like you're just <laughs> there and you're, you're looking at some of these guys and you're like, man, what are you doing? I, I remember specifically a, a time where, this is a 12 and under team came into our tournament. Um, apparently they were undefeated going into this. It was late in the year. So they were like, I don't know, something stupid, like 35 and oh, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those teams, you know, 12 years old, you're just going out and recruiting the biggest, fastest, strongest kids. And you know, you're going to, you know, compete regardless of what, you know, those yeah. kids may not even be high school players at that time because they can't adapt. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but they made it to the championship game of our tournament. And uh, ended up losing by one run. Um, I just remember the coach taking these kids out to left field and just berating these kids for like mm. 30 minutes. And I'm just yes. like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, these kids tuned out, you know, two minutes into your speech. Right. You know, and funny thing about it is my style was always my speeches after a loss were short. After win, we we yeah. talk a lot, but after a loss, like we already all feel terrible, right. you know, especially if it's a loss that we know we should have won, you know. So right. everybody knows what we did. Don't pile, you know? don't pile on. Right, no. right. So it's just like at that point, I want to get out of there. I know they want to get out of there. It's like, mm. hey, we didn't didn't bring our best game today, guys. You know, let's show up better next time. Forget about this, and you know, yeah, let's get packed up. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 I think for me those types of coaches 
which they exist, you know, there's, there, there's plenty of them around to me that that speech in that case and in any case like that is about the coach and not about the team. Yes. Right. So he's making yep. about himself and his ego is getting in the way. Meanwhile, you've got a group of 12 year olds who just developmentally are going to tune out even if things are good. Right. You know, exactly. Right? Now you're going to go and berate them after they sat on a field for two hours trying to keep their attention and, and they feel bad enough. And now you've just completely sort of distorted their experience by, you know, berating them. So unfortunately we still see those things and it's part of the reason I do what I do. Um, I, I guess so for you as a player, what, at what point did your baseball career end? Um, so I never played, well, I, I didn't go to college. I went to a trade school, so I didn't have the opportunity to play in college. So I played in high school. Then I played in an amateur league, um, you know, for many years um, <laughs> after that, you know, hanging on to the dream, so to speak. Um, but that's actually really how our organization started is it, is it started as an adult amateur team. Um, because I wanted to continue playing. I, I, like I said, I went to a trade school. I thought I was going to be a record producer. Um, that didn't pan out the way I wanted it to, um, but I still don't regret the decision or the experience. Um, so it was really about me being able to play a little bit longer. Um, and then, uh, you know, through that, through starting this team, I, I was kind of thrown in to being the coach right out of the gate, um, which was you know, very odd because, I'm coaching guys that I graduated high school with. I'm coaching guys that were, you know, a couple years older than me and I didn't want to coach. Like that wasn't, you know, the right. idea was start this thing so I could play more, <laughs> not to coach. Um, but I did take it seriously right out of the gate. And uh, there, I had the opportunity to coach two guys uh, that were actually former professionals in, uh -huh. in that organization in the early years of us starting uh -huh. And those two guys as well, Tim Brill and Rick Dunham, um, you know, molded my philosophy like they were the final touches, you know, after, you know, the Jerry Heiss and Barry DeStagio right. and, right, right. you know, Bob Brenchler and, and Denny Werner. So because they really, you know, brought a professional level to our organization and yep. um, the respect that they showed me as, as a very young coach. And these are both guys that, you know, Tim was probably like 14 years older than me. Rick was probably six or seven years older than me. And, you know, they knew a, a wealth, had a wealth more knowledge of the game of baseball than I did at that age. Sure. But they treated me with the utmost respect. And it, it was just such an incredible experience and, and really molded how I wanted to continue coaching and, you know, what I wanted to establish as, you know, really the framework and fundamentals of our organization, because mm -hmm. um, that slowly evolved into me then coaching youth players and, you know, coaching American Legion baseball. And then our, our organization just kind of continued to morph. And there are a bunch of us that played with each other that were all coaching at different organizations throughout our county. And, uh, you know, we just kind of got around to talking at one point. It's like, you know, this is kind of crazy. Like we all have the same philosophy. We all have, you know, you know, really the same things that we're teaching, but we're competing against each other and then playing with each other yet. Let's, let's start a youth organization, you know, under this umbrella, under the Berkshire baseball and mm -hmm. softball umbrella. And then that's what we did. And that's when it really, um, you know, when I really took it seriously and took it to the next level and, and understanding immediately the impact that I had on, on the kids we were coaching. I have to say we have a lot more in common than I even realized. So I played high school baseball as well. I started for two years. I thought I was a pretty good player, but my family just didn't have the resources. We didn't have the knowledge about college. Then my coach was not very cooperative, not, not in a bad way. Just didn't, he didn't really help with recruiting. And so I stopped playing at the end of high school and I went to college and that was it. And then at 25 years old, I was presented the opportunity to start playing in adult leagues again. And I played for probably the most, the, the good part of 17 years after that. So I played from probably 25 to 42. And in that run, I've played for a number of teams. And in that run, I ended up being the manager of one of those teams. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but chuckle when you said it, because I remember I just wanted to play baseball. 
And then yeah. you become the manager, which, you know, it was less about being a coach for us because it was, it was competitive. Don't get me wrong. We played against really good players. And I, I learned more about the game of baseball as a player, as an adult than I did in high school. Right. Like yeah. I played with some really like to your experience, minor league players played against guys who were pros played with guys who played in college. And I learned more about the game of baseball as a player from 25 to 42 than I learned in my youth. And it also, as a coach, which I'm sure you had this experience, my ability to put myself in a young person's shoes when they fail is much, much that that's probably the greatest asset I have as a coach yeah. is I played ba baseball for 17 years and I was humbled as an adult is very fresh in my mind. So when I see a young kid go out there and get humbled or they, they don't succeed, I'm able to sort of put myself right into that situation and go, you know what? <laughs> I had those days where I couldn't do anything right. And I stared at the ceiling in bed as a grown man with kids in their you know bedroom sleeping, thinking about, well, why did I swing at that pitch on three, two, or why did I let that go? I mean, that's a, that's an, that's a really uncanny thing. Cause there's a lot of guys who play competitive baseball in their They play college baseball and then they try to coach baseball when they're in thirties and forties and they're 20 years removed from the game. And even though they were really good at it, they can't relate. Right. They can't relate to what the player is going through. Cause it's either been so long or they were so successful that they just, they can't get it. That when someone fails, it's like, well, I, why, why didn't you just do that? Well, God damn baseball is a hard game. You know, yeah, I, I noticed that with a lot of guys, and I'm not, you know, saying every guy, but uh, a lot of guys who were former professionals and come back in the youth ranks, um, they can't relate. Like they can't relate to that failure because it came so easy to them. And again, exactly. not all of them. You know, there's some who who get it, and, and even though they were incredibly successful, can still understand and, and relate. But there's a lot that I've seen that, you know, it's like. And even those guys, you hear him a lot of times talk about, well, when I played, we did, and it's like, kid doesn't care about that. He does, he just no. doesn't care about that at this point in time. You know, like, how do I not do right. <laughs> what not, I it's just not about, did? Right. It's not about them. It's about meeting the person where they're at, <clears throat> right. help them solve their problem, get to where they want to go. Now, there may be a place to share that experience, but it has to be a relevant, you know, exactly context. If you're just saying like, hey, this is what I did because you want to, you know, pat yourself on the back to show your your player how special you are when you played, then that, that, that ain't doing anything. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting. It's, it's funny that, you know, we, we obviously can can relate to that yeah. concept for sure. So so tell me about your coaching career. So when did you I mean, obviously you had the organization and you were coaching, you know, at in your younger years as, as an amateur coach, right. The experience that you had, but like, tell me about the progression as a coach, like how you sort of developed over time. Um, so the first youth team that I ever coached, um, was, uh, American Legion team. Um, so, you know, high school age kids and, um, we were bad. We, we were <laughs> really, really bad. Um, I think we went, one in 21 that year. Mm. Um, but I still actually look back on that season as a success because we were much better, you know, at the end of the season than what we were in mm. the beginning of the season. And I think that first year, um, you know, again, it, it was humbling. Um, and, I think it was exactly what I needed as a new coach. Cause I think if you go in and you, you, you know, you're fortunate enough to go in and coach just, you know, a team of studs and, you know, they go mm -hmm. out and they're playing, you know, 750 or 800 baseball the, the whole season, you just take it for granted. Um, so it, it's still one of my best experiences as a coach because I learned so much and, you know, the following year we won, four games and then the next year we won 12 games and the next year we won like 15 games or something. Mm. Um, you know, so we were progressively getting better. Um, and I, and I really, you know, attribute, you know, later on then when I was coaching some really good teams to again, stay focused and humbled because of those four years 
you know, teaching, you know, a not so great team, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was a not so great team with some really great kids, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was just what it, what it was. And, um, you know, so it just, again, learning from that experience, it just, I was able to always keep things in perspective, always making sure that our highs never got too high Mm -hmm. and our lows never got too low, you know, and understanding that we were going to go through, you know, some good streaks and some bad streaks, but myself as the coach had to stay level because the kids are feeding off of you. So if you're, if you're an emotional roller coaster during a losing streak or a winning streak or whatever, they're all over the place as well, you know? And remember people talking about Bobby Cox, you know, if you ever looked in the dugout, you know, when the break and Joe Torrey as well, you know, if you ever looked in the dugout of any of those guys, yeah, it did. You couldn't tell. Their are facial they, expression was the same regardless of situation. Seven, ever. Are they down seven? Is yes. Smoltz thrown a no hitter? You know, it was the right. same thing. And that's the way I tried to, yes. you know, to keep it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that definitely helped throughout my career. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm curious, you know, you, you obviously coaching is such a huge part of your life. Now, ultimately you get to a point where you decided to not coach anymore. So like, take me through that. Like, when did you start to think, Hey, maybe it was time to move on. Or like, did you have a plan for exiting rather than just sort of waking up one day and say, I don't want to coach anymore. Like, what did that, how did that work out for you? Um, so there definitely wasn't an exit plan. Um, if you would have asked me, you know, in 2018, you know, I would tell you that, you know, I'll probably, you know, die somewhere on the field. Um, you know. Not a bad plan, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in 2019, I took uh, two solo trips um, where I drove from Pennsylvania. Uh, the first one was from Pennsylvania down to Dallas for the ABCA convention, the American Baseball okay. Coach Association yes. convention. From there, I went from Dallas over to uh, Sulphur, Louisiana. I spent some time with some friends and then drove drove home. And about a month and a half after that, I drove to Orlando, Florida, and and drove back for uh, a soccer camp that we were we were working on doing at the the complex. And the first time that was the first time in my life where I really took my time and enjoyed the journey. Um, we traveled a lot as an organization. Um, you know, we would go out and play in tournaments in Las Vegas and Florida mm-hmm. and Atlanta mm-hmm. and you know, was- all points in between. And there was always such a regimented schedule, you know, it's like we would take a bus to the airport, you know, so it was like, all right, everybody's got to be on the bus by this time. We got to be at the airport at this time. If we're, you know, traveling bus all the way, you know, it was like whenever we'd make a stop, you know, kids had this much time to get in and out and back on the road. So never really enjoyed the journey, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I, I was able to do that on those two trips. And, uh, you know, my mom, when she was in her mid forties and the mid eighties, um, she had taken, she had quit her job. She was had a very successful career selling life insurance Mm -hmm. and she quit her job and took an old 1967 Plymouth Valiant, took the back seat out of it, stuck a sheet of plywood in there and a mattress and cruised around the country, just visiting people and volunteering and and doing all this stuff. And I always admired her. I love telling people, you know, yeah. the story about her and all that sort of stuff, but never in my wildest dreams would I ever say or think that my story would mirror her story. And on that trip, it like hit me where I was like, wow, man, I think I've figured out why mom really did this. Like there was just such a serenity in those drives. Mm. And when I got back, um, it was in the process when I was adding the 10 chapters to the, you know, to the first book. Yeah. And I wrote like I hadn't written in years and Hmm. it's when it kind of hit me, you know, almost as if it was, you know, a voice from God or a higher power saying, you know what, you've done your time here. Yeah. It's time to turn the page and start a new chapter. And I did not embrace that at first. Like it was a struggle to really buy into it because I'd put my entire life into this organization. I mean, at that mm. point, um, you know, I was, I just turned 50. 
Um, you know, so it was literally 60% of my time on earth. I spent putting blood, sweat and tears into this organization and we were yeah. doing amazing work, you know, helping kids. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, teared back and forth and then finally kind of bought in, uh, ran it by my wife. She thought I lost my mind. Um, <laughs> but later, later on due to some stuff she was going through professionally as well. Um, she, you know, she bought in then after a couple months and, you know, we let the organization know it'd be the last year and, and, mm. uh, you know, kind of went from there. And the one thing that's been so cool about what we're doing now, traveling around in an RV and, you know, volunteering and, um, you know, just meeting new people and reconnecting with old people are the number of opportunities that I've had to sit down and, you know, have lunch or breakfast or dinner, or just hang out at a campground with one of my old players, um, whether they're in Arizona or Atlanta or Maryland, Texas, you name it. And, you know, again, you, you can relate to this as a coach. I mean, look, there's a lot of times, you know, we're putting our life into this and we're planting seeds in these kids, but many times we don't necessarily see those seeds bloom, you know, and this mm -hmm. journey has allowed me to see those seeds bloom. And, you know, I've coached kids that, you know, are just so incredibly successful at what they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and, um, you know, kids who are still in the game. I've got, uh, you know, former player of mine is the assistant general manager for the Houston Astros. Wow. I've got one that's uh, director of baseball operations for the Toronto Blue Jays. Very cool. Um, but even apart from the ones in the game yet are, are just the ones who are out there making an impact. You know, I have a kid who's actually a rehab catcher for the Reds out in Arizona. Um, but what I'm most proud of him about is the fact that he's also, you know, on the board of this organization out there that gives out scholarships to kids, you know? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so when you see that it's, it's really fulfilling and, and really, you know, kind of cements. I mean, because again, you can relate to this as a coach. There's not a whole line of people, um, you know, praising you as a youth coach. You know, nope. It's, <laughs> but, in many ways, it's a th it's a thankless job. Yes, yes. Um, so you know, most of the feedback you get is because you know Johnny or Susie isn't playing, or they are playing, but they should be batting third, not eighth, or whatever the case is. You know. Well, this is like, you know, just the re, you know, just reaffirming that, you know, things were done the right way. And it was the life lessons that these kids right. were taught that, that matters. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, you don't expect it. Right. But when it does come back, it's a really nice feeling. It's funny. I, I, I coached my son who's kind of moved on from baseball or he's I, I, it put it this way. Like I, I just don't have the opportunities to coach him anymore. His, his future in baseball is, is sort of unclear, but that's fine. Whatever he wants to do is good with me. But when I was young from the time he was five, all the way up till, till this last rec baseball season in the spring, I coached every year. And I just remember one year where I had one of his buddies, like a close buddy of his now. And at the end of the year, I got a handwritten note from the, the, the kid I don't know if it was unprompted or prompted by his mother, but I guess it doesn't matter. It was just like, you, I just had such a good time playing for you. You're my favorite coach. And like, I just remember putting that up on my wall in my office and being like, you know what, man, if I get one of these for the rest of my life, like it was worth it. Yep. Right. Like, Hey, I made a difference in this kid's life. Like he, he saw the value in it. His parents saw the value in it. And like, that's all I need, you know? And if I didn't get it, it would be fine too. Cause I just love being there with them. Right. But to get some feedback and, and, and a reward like that is pretty, is pretty cool. And so for you to be in a position to really revisit, you know, relationships that you had when they were younger and hear from them about what they're doing and just see them succeeding, it's gotta be really, really cool. It is. It is. It's, it's been the best thing about what we're doing by far. Yeah. So, you know, before we, we, before we started recording here, you know, a, a couple of days ago, I was looking at your website and checking out what you're doing, you know, beyond, you know, traveling the country. And I saw that you did a podcast with the former Red Sox, Shea Hillenbrand, who was a player that I 
recall certainly as a baseball fan and a Yankee fan. So I think you're a Red Sox fan. So we've sort of got that in common, even if it's on the other side, you know, different sides of the fence. But I didn't, un- I didn't realize what he had gone through personally. And, you know, that's the flip side of this, right? A lot of athletes, and I've had a lot of athletes on my podcast who've gone through that challenge of transitioning out of sport, right? You yeah. don't know when it's going to end. And if you don't have a clear purpose in that next phase of life, it could really get, you know, it could really lead to some significant life challenges, which he went through. I mean, he talked about it openly, so I'm not speaking out of school here. Right. I mean, can you talk about that experience? Just like being able to talk to somebody like that and get to know somebody who had that kind of life and that is now sort of on the other side, helping people. Yeah. Um, and I was introduced to Shay through a mutual friend when we mm-hmm. were running the complex yet. And the, the initial relationship was, you know, the, to try to get him to come out to our complex and help mm-hmm. us with the camp or something like that. And it just sure. never panned out because of timing or whatever. Um, but we were still in touch with each other, friends on Facebook and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, when we got out to Arizona in the fall, uh, I just I'd reached out to him. I'm like, Shay, you know, hey, we're in town. This is what we're doing now. I don't know if you'd heard. Um, you know, I'd love to get together, grab lunch, and you know, hopefully we can do a podcast if if you'd be willing to. Awesome. And he was more than willing. Um, you know, we got together, had lunch, and immediately clicked. You know, almost as you know, this was really our first time meeting in person. Everything else had been you know through emails or text messages or whatever, and just immediately clicked. And you know, to hear his story. Um, is just so incredible, um, you know. So it was, it, it was an honor for him to be able to open up and be vulnerable like that, um, you know, on the show. And you know, again, we stay in contact even now after that. Um, you know, so again, I, I've always, you know, I always look at the human more so than the the player. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, we our organization we had the opportunity to. Um, you know, a lot toward the end, we started bringing our alumni in for our guest speakers at our banquet. But in the early days, we would bring former players in. And, you know, so we had guys like Bill Ripken come in and speak, who is, again, an absolutely amazing human being, um, you know, through and through, um, you know, crazy guys like, you know, Bill Lee, we had at our, our space man. Yeah. And he was just <laughs> hilarious. And, um, you know, just, all kinds of people. And again, it it just reiterated our teaching philosophy um, of, we wanted to create good humans, you know, even more so than good good players. We had one speaker, I won't mention his name, who was a huge disappointment. And again, Mm. it was just like, you know, um, I don't care what you did on the field because you're kind of a peckerhead. But fortunately that was one guy out of probably 12, 12 big leaguers that we came in. Right. Um, You know, so that, that just, again, drove home the fact that what we were doing as an organization was right. That we Mm -hmm. wanted to teach these kids to be good humans first and foremost. Um, Cause at, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. doesn't matter what you did on the field. Yeah you got to be a good human. So again, to share that time with, with Shay, I mean, and I, I bet you we were together for, you know, a good three hours and we had lunch and then we went back to the RV and, and sat down and recorded. And it was just a really, you know, truly humbling experience that he was willing to take that much time out of his day and just tell his story and, you know, hopefully inspire some of my listeners. Uh- I mean, listen, I, I can completely relate to that on a, a, from your perspective. I relate to it from his perspective. And to him, you know, I would echo the fact that much credit to him, right, as a former professional athlete, right? It's very, it's a very challenging and humbling thing to sort of, you know, explore your shortcomings publicly. Yeah. Right. But to be able to embrace it and say, if I talk about this openly, it's going to help other people. And it sounds like he's living a life of service now outside of baseball, which is probably part of the healing process, right? Yep. For a lot of guys. And I, and I have one gentleman in particular on my podcast. He was a former college football player, you know, was very, very division one, very successful, had like everything was in the NFL basket for him. And he talked about it. And when he got, 
he had to retire because of a back injury. And he went through a period of four or five years where he was like addicted to drugs and he was suicidal. He tried suicide. And ultimately it wasn't until he figured out that his, his calling was to help other people that his life got back on track. And I think for a lot of athletes, a lot of them either don't anticipate that or they, they resist it. Right. And they live in the past of, I was an athlete and this is sort of what I, you know, I want to relive the glory days rather than saying like, what can I do next? That gives me the same level of meaning and purpose as I had when I was an athlete, because that's hard to replicate. Yeah. You know, because of all the energy and effort, time, money, all the things you put into being a professional athlete or being a high level athlete. And then it's all ended. It's like, well, now what do I do? And what does my life mean that it's over? It's a really, really challenging thing. Yeah. And, and you see it all the time. You see it with celebrities, with athletes, with yeah. you know musicians. And, and it just, again, just reiterates that whole thing that it's more than about the glory. It's more than about, mm-hmm. you know, what you did. So, so how are you going to react when the lights are off? You know, how are you going to react when the spotlight isn't on you? Um, and, and, and it's so important. I mean, you know, look at, you know, like who would have ever thought that, you know, Robin Williams was, you know, dealing with depression for all right. those years, you know, a guy who you never know. made a living by making other people laugh, but yet, there was something he was missing, you know? Um, so I, I think that's so important that, you know, guys really need to understand that there's, you know, there's more than just the game. There's more, you know, about that. And that's what was so cool with, you know, how humble Shay was and, yeah, you know, talking about, you know, what did he say early on is, you know, Hey, if anybody out there is listening, you know, wants to know how you can blow $30 million <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, I'm your guy. I can help you with that. Um, you know, so again, to, to have the humility to say that, to say, right. you know what? Yeah, I did that. Like I literally did that is, you know, yeah. pretty special. Yeah. But, but, but I think it comes back to what you were saying about your objective as a coach, which is to coach young people or people in general to be better humans, right? We're all human, right? At the end of the day, you know, we put so much stock in, in what we do, right? And, and that's such a big part of our identity. But at the end of the day, we're all the same, yep. right? Whether you played professional baseball or not, or whether you're rich or you're poor, right? We're all human. And how do we find commonality in that versus the idea that, you know, status and money and whatever are, are somehow elevate us over the next person. And I think that is that's the value that secret sauce, right. In, in these conversations with people is to be able to relate at a human level. And I think that, you know, that's, I wouldn't say it's the exception, but it's definitely not the rule in our society. And I think what's, I think the beauty of podcasting, and maybe you could sort of comment on this as a podcaster as well. Like I think the beauty of podcasting for me has been the ability to have these sorts of really significant, deep, substantive conversations with people I most cases don't even know. And I don't have these kinds of conversations with the people in my life, you know? And so for me, it's been such an eye opener of like, I want to get to know this person as much as I can. And I, and I may never see them again, but I'm so curious about who they are. I mean, is that like, what's your been experience as a podcaster? Because it looks like you have some really interesting people too on your podcast, people that you probably wouldn't anticipate. Yeah. Um, Exactly what you said. It's uh, it's an opportunity, and you know, it's funny. I mean, a lot. You know, I have a lot of guests that I do have relationships with. You know, right. many many times when we get together with one of my old players, it's you know, hey, let's right. let's do a podcast too, yeah, so we can cool. share that story. Um, you know, so it's really more recently that I've really started kind of getting out of my comfort zone. And, mm. you know, reaching out, you know, the way we connected through Podmatch and yeah, you know, that's great. engaging, you know, guests that I normally wouldn't have on the show. And like you said, it's incredible how you can have, you know, some very deep, meaningful conversations with people that <laughs> stranger. you really don't know that well. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is, it's, it's really amazing. And that's, you know, what I love about it is being able to you know, to share those stories. Cause you know, if you look at my guest list, it's just a, a broad range from, mm. you know, former major league player to former Olympic softball players, 
you know, to other full-time RVers to, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, recovering drug addicts, you know, mm-hmm. and all of those stories can inspire others. You know, every single one of those stories can inspire others. And that's really, you know, why I do it is because I think everyone has a story and I think yes. they can all inspire someone out there. So, um, you know, I always look at it as, you know, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have, you know, thousands and thousands of downloads of every episode and this and that, <laughs> but that's really not my goal. My goal right. really breaks down to like, if one person from the conversation that I'm having, even this conversation here, yep. if one person is inspired, if one person makes a change because of this conversation, then it's, you know, yeah, a success. Um and, you know, when you do get that feedback of, you know, people who've listened to an episode are like, man, that really made a, a huge impact on me. Yes. It's, it's that same thing as when I get together with those players and they say, you know what, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for what I learned in the organization, you know, playing for you and playing for others. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that because I definitely, as a podcaster, fight the urge. Because what I've seen is when I've had pod- people on my podcast who are, more recognizable, my download numbers go up, right? I'm looking at that, but it's not the objective, right? And and I fight the urge of trying to find bigger names. So for instance, I there's I won't say the name because I think it's I think it's an interesting podcast and a good idea. But there's another podcast out. I would say another podcast in youth sport space that's pretty new, but it's it's hosted by somebody high profile and they have a lot of high profile guests. And I'm looking at this going like it's great. It's a great conversation, but like that person doesn't know what I know just by virtue of my training and sort of the angle. And so I'm like, I'm constantly looking at it going like, you know, like, oh, like why are people listening to that and not me? And do I, and it's like, that's not the point, right? right? It's not the point. You know, if I'm having these good conversations with people that are really genuine and interesting, it doesn't matter what their following is or who they can, that's not it's, I didn't get into this to, to get rich and, and make money. I did it because I, I enjoy the process of it. And if it happens to turn out that the outcomes are favorable in, in the end, whether it's a business outcome or whatever, that's great. But if that's what's going to drive me, I'm just going to probably burn out on it and move on because I'm chasing a result that I have no control over. Right. Right. It, it's the same way as approaching coaching. You know, it's yeah. instead <laughs> right. of coaching for the win, you got to coach for the process. And that's yes. really you know, again, my philosophy when it comes down to, Agreed. you know, podcasting and everything else, is it, it's, it's the process, you know, it's the process. And yes, I, I can definitely, you know, relate to what you're, you know, what you're saying there. And, yeah. you know, it is, you do have to kind of do a self check every once in a while. And be like, that's not, again, that's not right. why, why we're doing this. And, and again, even with, you know, the books I've published and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff as well. You know, yeah, I mean, I want to sell books. It's, you know, it helps me put, helps me put gas in the tank and helps me, right. you know, drive to my next destination. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's really about just inspiring people, you know? Agreed. And if, if we can do that on, you know, a small basis or a large basis, whatever it is, that's absolutely fine. All right. Okay. So you mentioned putting gas in the tank. So tell me... <laughs> As a full-time RVer, somebody who's traveling the country and seeing everything, like, just tell me what that experience is like in general. It's incredible. I mean, this country has so much to offer. I mean, there are so many absolutely beautiful places and incredible people out there. And, you know, our country is a little bit of a mess right now, as is the world. But if you're looking for good people, you can find them. And, mm-hmm. and we've met so many just absolutely incredible, you know, salt to the earth, amazing people uh, on this journey. And yeah. that's been the, the best part about it. And, you know, I remember when my mom passed away, reading her journals <clears throat> and the stories of people she met. And mm-hmm. again, then after she passed away, getting letters from some of these people mm-hmm. just telling us how much of an impact she had on their life. And, yeah. you know, I know that, 
you know, many of these people had a huge impact on my mom's life because she would talk to talk about them and tell stories about them. And for us to now be able to experience that uh, and again, have an even better understanding as to why mom did it and, you know, what that was like is just, just incredible because I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, life is about the experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, life is about the people we meet, you know, and really embracing the moment and, you know, cherishing those one-on-one encounters that we have. And there's people that I I don't even remember their name anymore, but they (laughs) made a a profound impact on my life in literally just a, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute conversation. And you just walk away and you're like, wow, man, that's, yeah. that's a pretty cool person that we just, you know, had yeah. the pleasure of meeting. Yeah. So I, I know it, uh, the next question I'm going to ask you is probably, it, it, it's probably a throwaway in the sense that I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It's like, it's kind of like asking if you have a favorite child, right? Like, do you have a favorite place that you visited? <clears throat> we People ask Sandy and I that question all the time, and we, we can't answer it. We really can't because there's so, so many incredible places, you know. And if we think of one, then we're like, oh, but what this about place that? was cool too, you know. So uh, we've stopped – even like we've even stopped trying to list even the top five because once you get to five, you're like, well, wait, this this place, you know, could have been number three or something. Uh-huh. Uh, so you really can't, which, I, again, I think just attests to how – incredible of a, of a country we live in, yes. and, you know, just the, the beauty. Um, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It's, it's all inspiring for sure. Yeah. Um, so do you have places on your list that you haven't been to that you want to get to? Yeah. And, you know, there's places we've been to that, you know, we feel we didn't spend enough time in, you know, yeah. so the list is ever changing. I mean, sure. we definitely want to get up to Alaska um, we kind of have to work that around, um, you know, when our grandkids are graduating high school and that sort of thing. Um, cause obviously, you know, June is the prime time. You know, I, I just yeah. think it would be so cool, you know, to be up there and you're, you're walking around at 1030 at night and it's 24 daylight. hours of light. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so that's definitely on the list. Um, we haven't been to California yet. Um, we kind of detoured around that last year because we took on a volunteer project that changed our route a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been to 39 states so far. Um, we kind of outlined the country to an extent. So we haven't hit, you know, the whole Midwest area, Missouri, you know, Arkansas, um, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Colorado. We haven't hit, you know, a lot of those states. Um, you know, so they're definitely on the list to, to get yeah. out to the Rockies and, um, you know, that's that sort of stuff. I mean, we were up in New England um, in the fall when we first started it, and we want to get back up there, you know, in the summer mm. to enjoy it even more. I mean, the colors were incredible in the yeah. in the fall, but we didn't get we didn't get all the way up like into Man. Bar Harbor, Maine, and stuff. We just kind of went through the, the middle of it and then down toward uh, Old Orchard Beach, you know. So we want to get back up there, um, you know. So it's it's just it's a juggling act, you know, yeah. between, you know, all the places on the list and then still, you know, fitting in the, the other stuff too. How many, so is our hitting baseball stadiums along the way? Is that part of the agenda? Um, only if it's, you know, an opportunity. Um, okay. Like when we were in Arizona, we went to an Arizona fall league game and surprise, Very cool. which was really cool. First time I ever, you know, experienced that. It was neat to see, you know, all the prospects from different teams playing in the game. And obviously all those facilities out there are just, you know, incredible. I, I played out there. It was that complex out there. I played out there over 10 years ago, but when we played out there, it was like playing, like it was like heaven. It's like playing on the putting green, playing baseball. It was just amazing. And I, yeah. it's, oh God. Yeah. 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 So that, that was really cool. Um, you know, we, we got to feel the dreams in, in Iowa, which was just wow. exceeded, you know, and I was expecting it to be cool, but it, it turned out to be like cooler than what I even thought. Like, I mean, there really is like a magical feeling when you get to that place, um, which is, was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, if the opportunity arises, yeah, we'll, we'll take advantage of it. Um, you know, probably, you know, more so some minor league stadiums than, um, yeah. 
you know, than, than big Definitely. league stadiums. I mean, we actually, uh, we actually stayed, um, in Aberdeen in the parking lot of, uh, the Ironbird stadium there yep. for like three nights because we had an issue with our slide. Um, and I, I know the general manager of, uh, the Ironbirds. I did a podcast with him and, oh wow. um, when I went in and, and, uh, you know, sat down with him, I'm like, Hey Jack, by the way, we might be in your parking lot for a couple of days because when we pulled in today, our slide stopped working midway in, midway out. So we really can't go anywhere. And getting a remote RV repairman out seems like it's going to be a couple day process. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, no yeah, problem, right. no problem. You know, wow. um, so we got to get taken a game there, which was cool as well. Um, you know, and we were down there for a, a tournament anyway. We we're down there for a girls baseball tournament. Um, you know, so, uh, Wow. It was it was a cool experience to say that we, you know, we stayed three days in the you know parking lot of the Aberdeen Ironbirds. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I mean, I mean, clearly from all the experiences you've had and the way you've characterized it in the last you know fifty five minutes, I mean, you clearly have a, a very high level of awareness, right, about the significance of these events, experiences in your life. So, like, do you ever just sort of like wake up or just kind of catch yourself and be like, man, like, how did I? How did I get here? Like, you know, just pinch yourself. All the time, really. Yeah. I mean, all the time. It's just, you know, again, it, it's, you know, it's amazing. I mean, the, the relationships we've, we've been able to build with people and, you know, people I've met through the organization that mm -hmm. we've been able to maintain, you know, relationships with, um, you know, one of the first volunteer projects we ever did was down in Sulphur, Louisiana after Hurricane Laura came through. Mm -hmm. And the last four years of our complex, uh, at our complex, we had been doing some softball camps with Jenny Finch. Oh, wow. And over the years, we became really good friends. And uh, so we actually stayed in her driveway while we were, you know, going back and forth, you know, to help with the church we were helping at during the, the you know, relief time. And again, she's one of the most amazing human beings you'll ever meet. I mean, just incredibly humble. I mean, she, like, their their house uh, made it through the hurricane pretty much unscathed. Mm. They live on a ranch, and, like, across the street, they had some buildings that were totally leveled. And, you know, like, she was apologizing to me because they didn't have any power. They were running off a generator that we wouldn't be able to plug in at their house. And I'm like, Jenny, like, we've got a generator. Like, we're good. <laughs> you know, like, you've got much yeah. larger problems to worry right. about, Don't worry about than us, us yeah. being able to plug in. Um, and we've been able to, we've gotten back to sulfur and, and spent time with her almost as much as we've been back to Pennsylvania. Wow. So that, that's pretty that's, cool to be that's able very to, cool. to do that. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I def, there's definitely times where, you know, I wake up and I'm like, man, this is just a blessed life. I mean, through what I've done through girls baseball, I've had the opportunity to meet many, uh, of the players that played in the old, uh, all American girls professional baseball league. And to hear the stories of these women, you know, who are now in their 80s and 90s talking about what it was like to play, um, you know, in the 40s is just, again, incredible and, and awe-inspiring, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very special, and I'm, I'm very aware of how, how special it is. That's great. All right. So, a as we wrap up, the last question I ask to all of my guests and it sometimes it sort of comes from different angles, but it's generally the same is if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody listening, let's say, let's take it back to the beginning. If you had to give one piece of advice to a coach, right. As a, as a coach who had a long career coaching young people, like what's that one piece of advice that you would give them? Um, I think it's just understand the big picture. You know um, it's not about you. It's about the kids, and that's that's really it. It's just understanding it's about the kids. It's not about you. It's perfect. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Dan, I really enjoyed talking to you. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, and I hope we can stay in touch. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks. So, What's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Dan Clauser? My biggest takeaway is that investing in young people pays dividends that we don't fully realize. 
appreciating the coaching journey is the recipe for having the greatest impact on young athletes. My suggestion to coaches is to make your best efforts to coach the person, not the game. All of us are competitive and want to win. However, we can often lose sight of the long-term impacts we have on young athletes through our actions. I want to thank Dan for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Dan at journeyofmymotherson.com. To learn how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 58. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.